A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Leila Latif. And I'm Hannah Strong. And today we'll be talking about John Krasinski's suspenseful thriller, Quiet Place Part 2, the innovative, intimate hoggumentary, Gunder, and in Film Club, we're trotting back to 1998 for George Miller's Babe, Pig in the City. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome listeners and welcome Layla. It's uh, it's been a while. How have you been? Uh, I've been good. I've just been kind of, you know, bacchanalian hedonism in the sunshine, skipping around from pub garden to cinema screening and loving life. So since we've done this revamp of the podcast, going back to weekly episodes, we're using that as an opportunity to reintroduce all our regular contributors. So Layla, what have you been up to recently, work-wise, that we can go and read? Um, God, um, well, we've got the, I got to contribute to the Little White Lies greatest ever video nasties list, which was really good fun. Lots of, uh, you know, serial killers and naked ladies and naked lady serial killers, <laughs> which was a real hoot. Um, and then I've got a lovely episode of Inside Cinema coming up in a couple of weeks on Ju- uh, June 23rd, which everyone can look out for. Mm-hmm. Yes, excellent. And Hannah, you were on last week, so we're up to date with you. But at that point, <laughs> had you been to the cinema as a paying punter? Have you been yet? Yeah, yeah, I've been loads. Um, I'm just trying to remember, I think six times now. Oof. Um, I'm going to get on Friday. Can't get me out of the screens. It's it's ridiculous. What's the best thing um, you've seen so far? Uh, not to be basic, but 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> I think we may have talked about this last week because I, it, yeah, it it blew my mind. Um, it was really good. So the Prince Charles on 70 mil, unrestored print to get all the, uh, you know. Uh, cinema bro uh, but no it was really really good had a great time was glad I waited mm-hmm. and Layla you've been enjoying the sun have you been enjoying the air-conditioned confines of the cinema much in the last couple of weeks I have I think much like many people it was exciting when summer arrived and then by day two I wanted to go and sit in the dark <laughs> perfect and uh, we've got plenty of new releases to talk about for more people who want to go and sit in the dark up first we should have bated breath a, a charged silence for A Quiet Place Part 2. So a bit of setup for A Quiet Place Part 2. Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott's family must now face the terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. Forced to venture into the unknown, they quickly realise that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. 
So, A Quiet Place Part 2, a post-apocalyptic movie that almost became our post-apocalyptic movie, because that was one of the last films that was due to come out before lockdown happened last year. I remember it was the the film that was on the sides of buses for months across spring and summer 2020. And now it's finally come out, finally getting its cinema bow. Layla, was it worth the wait? Um, I think the first 20 minutes were certainly worth the wait. We uh, kind of, we start with the action um, as the alien invasion kind of happens and it, you know, articulates exactly how it all went down. That I mean, I think a lot of us assumed that they were aliens, but, you know, now we know for sure because we see them kind of crashing through the atmosphere. And that, like, great chaos on this, like, normal Rockwell, really idyllic town is really great fun. And then we cut to essentially the moment that the last film ends. And from then on, I, I it really... I thought it was pretty disappointing for the most part after that. Like it actually is very inert, especially one of the major threads that's going through the family kind of divides into two and one of them just sort of end up in this like cyclical stasis where like nothing kind of moves them forward. And in fact, they kind of seem to keep going backwards. Um, You know, John Kerensky spoilers for the quiet place. One isn't with us anymore, but he does appear in the flashback. And he's sort of replaced by um, Cillian Murphy as a new father figure, playing basically the exact same character. I mean, in my head, I just named them Sad Dad 1 and Sad Dad 2. <laughs> but, they, you know, they have the same sort of like depression beard and the same kind of relationship to everyone in that the whole thing with the first one is that John Kerensky is continually underestimating his daughter and thinking that she's really not brave enough and strong enough to go and do things on her own. And then Cillian Murphy comes along and kind of does the exact same thing. <laughs> and she keeps saying to him, you know, you're nothing like my dad. And I'm just, was just like, he's exactly <laughs> like your dad, <laughs> like to an uncanny degree. Um, it's one of those weird films though, that even though I wasn't impressed by it, I'd kind of recommend it Mm. because like the sound design of it was really cool. It's a really fun 97 minutes. There's some good set pieces. Um, And seeing it in the cinema with all kind of like the sat, you know, the cool sound elements that they have and, you know, silence followed by screeching monsters was actually a really nice moment for being back in the cinema. So, you know, mixed bag. (laughs) Watching this film made me, think a lot about interviews that John Krasinski made um, at the time of the release of the first film where he just released this film that was being very much marketed as a jump scare horror film and he said you know I'm not really a horror guy (laughs) I don't really make you know this is I don't see this as a horror film and I don't that shows more in the second one that he doesn't really have much of a um, horror filmmaker toolkit he only really has one trick and that's Spielbergian suspense (laughs) Uh, using sound design and long drawn out moments, as you say, Layla, and then the um, the dawning realization of something awful that's going to happen. But he mm. doesn't really have anything else up his sleeve. And I suppose it's just a pure case of sequelitis. I don't think a quiet place when they first made it, they had the idea of making more. But then it was a surprise hit, wasn't it? Hannah, what what did you make of the sequel? Yeah. Um... I think that the problem is the idea of these monsters who navigate by sound, um, it can't really sustain itself. <laughs> um, certainly not the way that uh, John Krasinski is telling the story. I, 
I was I I did enjoy the first one. Um, I think actually the the funniest thing about the first one for me was that I watched it in a packed cinema in Hackney, and everyone kind of goes into a horror film clutching their popcorn. And this is a film where like you, you can't really eat popcorn because it totally destroys the uh, the ambience. So everyone was trying so to like eat their popcorn either super super quietly or to like do it really quickly when the monsters came on screen so that that is very funny to me and it, actually at the press screening for a quiet place too they gave us all bags of marshmallows which i thought was really really funny i thought that was like a hilarious joke but no one else seemed to, seemed to agree with me that that was very funny i was saying to everyone they gave us marshmallows do you get it because it's a quiet place and, and everyone was just not not very amused by that um but yeah i i, I kind of was hoping that they could pick up from the last film and kind of go in a new direction. But I actually think the film pretty much follows the exact plot of the first film. Um, there's some foot-based trauma. There's, um, yeah, like Layla said, the kind of sad dad underestimating the the plucky young girl. And then essentially, like, I don't really think this is a spoiler, but it, it kind of even, like, ends in the same way. It, it, it's just very repetitive and people have said like oh it's clear that um they were doing a lot of world building for the sequel because there's going to be another one mm-hmm. um somewhere down the line but i can't even really see what the sequel would be about there's no sense for me of where where any of this is going they seem to be at the end of the quiet place part two in exactly the same place they were at the beginning of the film so yeah i don't know i'm just very like underwhelmed and also Yes, you said about um, Krasinski not having a kind of horror uh, background. Uh, this this massively shows for me in his kind of like understanding of the post-apocalyptic world because it it very much throws me out of the moment when I'm watching a, like a post-apocalyptic horror film and the heroine has like perfect hair because like where is Emily Blunt finding a hairdresser to do her highlights when they're like 18 months post collapse I, I that that for me like it just it just really angered me <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're right I think not to rag too much on John Krasinski because I feel like whenever I criticize him it's just his character from the office looking sad but um he's <laughs> he, he's not a speculative storyteller in terms of the speculative f- fiction he doesn't really think about the implications of this post-apocalyptic world we do go outside the family homestead from the first film which was such a good contained area where the outside world may as well not exist but once you start looking to other survivors other um, little hubs of a new civilization or society it's sort of it is quite thinly drawn so the idea that he's sketching out a world for a sequel um it's, it's not quite successful here but we should say you know emily blunt was such a strong presence in the first one she takes a bit more of a back seat here not just to Killian Murphy, who, as you say, Layla, is um, doing a very good sad dad performance. But we should shout out Millicent Simmons. I feel like a stuck record because it's almost the exact same praise we gave the last one. She's so good as uh, the young daughter um, and is, again, carrying so much of this film. Um, Layla, what about the performances for you? Yeah, I mean, I think Millicent Simmons wonderful. And I'm kind of glad that they're sort of positioning her as like the Ripley, I suppose, of, of the, the franchise. But I just, yeah, I it's all a bit thin, isn't it? I mean, when it even kind of, when you think of all of these elements, when they sort of try to bring in this idea of like, oh, people might be the real monsters after all, <laughs> they sort of pick up the idea, but they don't 
examine it or, or do anything with it. And um, and I also really felt that was the case with the monsters, because mm. for sure in the first one, we could kind of skate by on like, oh, this concept of sound and like, you know, they've got these cool long limbs and stuff. But I just found myself a lot of the time being like, yeah, but what are these guys? Like, they, they're not eating people. So they're just assholes essentially they just like (laughs) like rip things to pieces and like you think like the great monsters of you know of time there has to kind of be a bit of like theory behind them to kind of make them interesting like you know this was like the xenomorphs in alien and that whole thing of like reproduction or like that they're kind of doing things as a tool and with this one i just yeah i i I think we needed a few more ideas and like a few more ideas (laughs) developed properly Mm. And, you know, the third one, it's already announced that um, Jeff Nichols um, mid- of Midnight Special fame, Take Shelter, you know, he's a he's going to take the reins of the franchise. And he's someone who definitely does know how to turn these these uh, high high concepts into some d- deeper ideas to explore characters, explore more social themes, I suppose. So I suppose, will it win me back over with that one? I don't know. Would you be turning up for Quiet Place Part 3, Hannah? Um, I will because I really love Jeff Nichols and I'm always kind of campaigning for him to make more movies. Um, I can't say the idea of him doing A Quiet Place Part 3 really, like, you know, sparks joy. Um, But I'll definitely, Millicent Simmons, I I definitely want to see more from. I felt a bit disappointed by how little Noah Duke's given to do because I think he's a great actor and again like him and Emily Blunt really get a kind of a raw deal in this film Mm -hmm. but you know I do appreciate that we are kind of um in a bit of a a dearth for original horror so um I'll take kind of what I can get at the moment (laughs) okay well let's put some scores on A Quiet Place Part 2 this is in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect Layla what are your scores um, I would say in anticipation, I was at a four because, you know, I'm just so desperate to get to the cinema <laughs> to see anything. And like I, you said, it has been being advertised to us for what feels like decades. Um, enjoyment, I would give it a three. Um, you know, screechy monsters, always a joy. Uh, but yeah, two in retrospect, it was really a bit thin on the ground. And like you said before, that it was just a complete non-ending. Mm-hmm of a film so it was quite a deflated feeling at the end Hannah um probably a three just because I think I'd kind of got fatigue from from hearing about this film for for so long um and then a two two yeah it's just not it was just disappointing like Leila said I think it you know they're really was potential in this one to kind of explore the origins of these creatures and kind of work out where the world is kind of going next but uh, I just didn't, it didn't really do um any of what I would hope a sequel would do yeah I think I had residual excitement about the the first film because the first film at least had freshness on its side um so probably three two two for me there's a glimmer of hope there for Jeff Nichols particularly if he brings in either of his regular sad dads <laughs> Michael Shannon or Joel Edgerton I imagine they could blow <laughs> the previous sad dads out of the water. Uh, but oh my God, I see. would so love to see Michael Shannon shushing someone. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Okay, yeah, if Michael Shannon like gets on board, yeah, I'm back. I'll, I'll like, be first in line. <laughs> so that is A Quiet Place Part 2 in cinemas this weekend. Up next, a very different kind of film. It's Gunda. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Experiential cinema in its purest form. Gunda chronicles the unfiltered lives of a mother pig, a flock of chickens, and a herd of cows with masterful intimacy. Using stark black and white cinematography and the farm's ambient soundtrack, Victor Kosakowski invites the audience to slow down and experience life as his subjects do, taking in their world with patience and an otherworldly perspective. So, Hannah, this film has the, um, the, the, the unique honour of being exec produced by Joaquin Phoenix. The trailer is trailed by a bit of big hype quote from uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, but uh, Matt Turner of Little White Lies broke the perfect <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes score for this film. Um, Hannah, what did you make of Gunder? And please introduce us to the world of Gunder. I'm not sure I can really. Um, I So I was kind of excited for this because I, I like a good animal movie. Um, I particularly like a good pig movie, as we'll get on to later with our film club. But um and this had been really hyped to me as well. Um, I'd, you know, I'd obviously read about Joaquin Phoenix um, exec producing and kind of, you know, it'd been this big like uh, film about kind of highlighting the quiet dignity of, of the humble pig um, and, you know, kind of making people realise, I guess, that animals are kind of nice. Like, I don't know. I don't really understand why people were so kind of... Um, awestruck by this on the festival circuit uh because i was incredibly bored and i initially thought when i saw matt turner's review i thought oh well it's entirely possible matt matt as like a documentary expert is just kind of having some like nitpicking issues but actually no i think i think matt is onto something i think it's very um i don't know like I want to say it's like Tarkovsky <laughs> does a film about a pig, but purely because of like the aesthetics of like this, you know, very beautiful black and white cinematography. But yeah, I don't know. I maybe I'm just a, a kind of um, a philistine, but I really could not kind of get on board with 90 minutes of just watching a pig kind of go about its business. Uh, I liked the chicken though, the chicken, this one legged chicken who you sort of see hopping around the farm um is is good fun but i think like i get the concept but i just don't i think 
it's probably not the best film to watch at home on your TV because you just can drift very easily and start thinking like, oh, I should make a shopping list. Oh, I should. Um, you look up that recipe for uh, roast pork that, <laughs> that I've been meaning to look at. You know, I just think it's it's probably one that would benefit from like the kind of um, the dark sensory deprivation booth of the cinema. And maybe that's why I didn't kind of get on with it because I think it's just... It, yeah I was I was I, I don't want to keep saying I was bored but I really was I was so mm. bored I texted a friend of mine who'd already seen it and I said is it just a pig for 90 minutes and he was like yeah pretty much and I was, once I kind of realized it was just going to be 90 minutes of watching a farm I just I think I kind of maybe tuned out a little bit it's funny, isn't it? We we talk about this every now and then when a documentary comes on the podcast. Every year we have a handful of breakout. I mean, I'm, I'm using this word uh, maybe as constantly blockbuster documentaries, which get the bigger push <laughs> than most of the festival fare. And that's why it's, it's sometimes very instructive to read a review like the one that Matt Turner's written because he's somebody who is watching documentaries day in day out, and these observational, um, you know, human element free documentaries are dime a dozen on the festival circuit but some only some of them get exec produced by Joaquin Phoenix and pushed to as many screens as this one so does that extra exposure when people lose their minds with the raves about this saying how it's a transcendent piece of filmmaking does that lessen it at all or is it just you know because you're jaded and you've seen so many documentaries at this stage you know Hannah I asked last week about first cow was the cow metaphorical and now I'm going to be asking if the pig is metaphorical in Gunda and Victor Kosakowski in, in interviews talks a big game you know he, he he made the film Aquarella a few years ago um, which was very much looking at climate change through the through a documentary that's only about bodies of water and now this is very much about the impact on the environment of the you know, industrialized farming industry. And it's very easy to watch this and not really get that when in the interviews he's talking about how in 2020 we killed billions of pigs, billions of chickens, you know, or, you know trillions of fish just to just to feed the, the meat eaters of the world. And that's the impact. And so how could we as filmmakers even consider making something as, uh, you know, as a, you know, will they won't they romance film in, in in this sort of context so he talks a big game and then makes this film that could very much just pass by in an hour and a half uh, Layla where, where do you land on on Gunda was this were you, were you sent on a transcendent journey or were you bored like Hannah was I wasn't bored and I was amazed that I wasn't bored because I kind of started and it was like oh wow this is like really beautifully done like this cinematography is like it's very very crisp and very like steely black and white which I appreciated because I hate a kind of sludgy black and white. Mm. Um, and then about 10 minutes in, I was just like, surely not. This can't be it for like 90 minutes. But I sort of fell into like a, a relaxed rhythm with it. And then the ending really hit me. Um, and I actually ended up really liking Gunda. I was quite surprised by it. Um, like I've got two small children and there was something like that. It really took me back to having newborns, particularly with this pig and her little piglets. And I used to always joke about how when you're a new mother, it's a bit like having a tiny gummy zombie in your house. That There's like all of a sudden there's this being that's like entirely carnivorous towards you. And it's just like, you'll look over and they'll just be like nibbling on your elbow or something. Cause it's very strange to become a food source. And like, I really felt that like Gunda captured that feeling for me. And like a lot of like feelings of early motherhood 
I quite connected to with this like very expressive little pig and you know sort of the tragedy of pigs is they're only really farmed for one thing so there's only one way that this can end up there's I mean I suppose maybe there's one pig out there who's like making hog's hair brushes or something but the rest of them it's the it's the same sad fate so yeah I mean I I, I ended up um, really being quite moved by it in the end, mm-hmm. but I was I was surprised by that because yeah, ten minutes in, I was like, surely not. This isn't just the pig. <laughs> I, I will highlight that the ending as well as as, as you know, we we said that Quiet Place Part Two might might have had a bit of a a limp ending, but this one this one Gunda does come together in a, in an emotional way that maybe if you were lulled into a this patient ambient easygoing feeling for the rest of the film you. Um, you'd be surprised by so stick with it to the end if you are watching it don't walk out after 45 minutes but let's should we put some scores on Gunda um, Hannah I'll come to you first um, it's probably a four in anticipation um, I think yeah I was kind of attracted by the uh, good reviews but also Matt's dissenting take just because I was you know there was a pure curiosity factor and I do, you know, I like seeing cute animals kind of go about their business. And I do think the animals are cute. The pigs are cute. The piglets are very, very cute. And I, I do, I do agree that the ending, I think, is um, is very good. But I, to me, it just doesn't really justify the kind of ninety minutes <laughs> that I spent just watching cows wander around. Um, also, I grew up in the countryside, so like I've seen, I've seen like cows. My uncle, one of my uncles, is a farmer, so. <laughs> I think maybe that it was kind of like preaching to the choir a little bit. I don't know. Uh, yeah, like a two and a two. I just, for, it just wasn't for me. But I, I definitely could appreciate the kind of cinematography and the artistry that's gone into it. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't get on with it. Layla? Um, it's probably a three coming into it. Like I'd had a good buzz, but I find Rack and Phoenix slightly unbearable at times. Um, and um, yeah, probably a three in terms of enjoyment, but then four looking four in retrospect, because, you know, I just found a lot of it quite moving in the end. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'd probably say... <clears throat> Maybe four three three for me. This is the sort of film that I do love catching on the festival circuit, particularly documentary festivals. But it didn't really convince beyond what I'd seen elsewhere. Um, the work of like Nicholas Gerhalter, for example. And I suppose that's a good way of looking at it right now is that maybe some of the mainstream films coming to cinemas, the blockbusters are under delivering. So it's a time for curiosity and discovery and going off the beaten track. And maybe something like Gundam may open your eyes to a whole world of observational experiential documentary and there's a lot out there um with and with festivals like Sheffield Doc Fest just around the corner and plenty of opportunities to try and watch it um but it sounds like from Hannah it's more like uh Gunyet than Gunda uh and <laughs> uh but a bit more positive from Layla listeners if you do catch either A Quiet Place Part 2 or Gunda in cinemas this weekend. Let us know what you think at the usual channels. That's at LW Lies on Twitter or at Truth and Movies at cco.london.com via email. So, Layla, you mentioned about there must be one pig out there who's uh, escaping uh, from the, the certain fate that they have on the farm. And we're going to talk about that very pig next in Film Club. It's Babe, Pig in the City.
This sequel to the Oscar-winning, heartwarming 1995 blockbuster takes Babe, the sheep pig, on a crusade into the midst of a large city where despite incredible obstacles, he's able to turn enemies into friends, raise enough money to save the farm, and combine the two worlds into one. And once again, it's Babe's kind and steady heart that achieves miracles. (laughs) So this is one of those strange films that don't get made anymore. Um, Babe back in 1995 unexpected huge hit Oscar contender Um, then George Miller who produced and co-wrote that film takes the reins and makes a very bizarre film that was a huge box office flop and pretty much chased George Miller away from live action filmmaking for nearly two decades until he made Mad Max Fury Road in 2015 Layla, had you seen this film before? Do you have much of an ongoing relationship with Babe? Yeah, I mean, I think I saw it when it first came out um, and uh, I hadn't revisited it since. It's it's very strange. I mean, it's I think it's kind of a bit of a boring thing to say that things have aged badly because virtually nothing ages well. Um, but yeah, it was pretty... It was much stranger than I had kind of remembered it as sequels go. Like it's complete, like virtually no one really returns from the first one where they kind of make brief cameos at the beginning. Um, And then it's a whole new set of animals and a whole new set of animal performers. And I just feel that the animal performer is such an uncomfortable thing in a 2021 lens. Mm -hmm. And in particular that there's like an element of, and they are in the film performing animals for the most part. And then there's this wonderful bit at the end where they all don't have to be performing animals anymore and they get to kind of live their lives, you know, in freedom. And I was just like, oh, but that's not what's happened to the actual animals in this film. (laughs) And yeah, the whole thing just seemed a bit grim to me, if I'm honest. Like it starts with this weird kind of final destination style accident for the farmer. And then there's just sort of like a bit of a a lot more darkness than I remembered. Like there's sort of dogs that almost drown. There's a lot of kind of blue jokes about people being fugly and yelling at a cat that it's a pussy and stuff. And I was just like, what is this? This is just (laughs) kind of a kind of weird fever dream of, uh, uh, yeah, I was, I, it took me two goes to get through it. I just, mm-hmm. I did not have a good time with Babe 2. It's it's um, it's wild in both the positive and negative senses, I, I think, really. George Miller, you forget that George Miller has this almost uh, cartoonish sensibility with his filmmaking, where it's the, the, there's this off-kilter but very fast pace um, to, mm. to many of his set pieces and sequences. Of course, he, he immediately takes Babe out of the context that he was in in the first film, the, this lovely you know, idyllic farm setting and throws him into almost a Terry Gilliam film. Um, the, the way that they, they create this metropolis that is all major cities in one. Um, and then this hotel for performing animals. And then there's a, a heist. There's not, there are, it's a very simple plot. There's the stories behind about behind the scenes, how um, about half an hour was cut out of this film. Um, for many reasons, uh, particularly as you said, Layla, it's way too dark and violent. Um, I think it, even on its first certification, um, the theatrical cut was given a PG, which is not really what you want for your kids' pig movie. Um, and it still stands as something that is such um, 
an odd trip down memory lane of what could get made, but also the the crazy filmmakers who were working at that time. So Hannah, you said you love a good pig movie. Is this a good pig movie for you? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I am I am um firmly in the pro babe pig in the city camp. Um and babe, I think babe is um the greatest Oscar winner we never had. Um I think it was done dirty. <laughs> but um no, I love Babe Pig in the City. I think it is a totally mad film that would not get made today. Not least because uh, there are no more performing chimps in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. I'm not I'm not advocating for a return to chimp um acting. I think it's a good thing that they've been replaced by CGI. Um but I I I'm fascinated by the world of performing animals and have been for quite some time. Just because it, I think it's such a, there's such a long uh, history of this in kind of globally, but within cinema, you know, some of the earliest films made were about kind of performing dogs and things. And obviously I think it is slightly different when it's dogs and cats and domesticated animals compared to something like a chimpanzee or an orangutan. Um, but yeah, I think this is a, a, a very sad kind of, oddly depressing film for children with lots of very like scarring moments in it like um Layla said the the accident at the beginning is like quite horrific there's a good like few minutes where you think that poor farmer Hoggett has uh croaked it and then um later on the scene where um the little uh is it a um British bulldog or a some some sort of bulldog nearly drowns and babe has to save them and there's a little jack russell who's disabled and has a little like wheelchair it's just a very like only from the mind of george miller could this film exist and i kind of appreciate that total sort of commitment to his vision and the fact that he you know clearly must have um seen how successful babe was and then thought well I'll come, but I'll come and do, you know, come, come and do uh, my take on it this time, you know, do it, do it with my pure directorial vision. And the public said no. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it, I think it's just it, it, it's such a fascinating product of its time, and there are loads of kind of things in it that I think are, are very funny, like the the fact that in the hotel all the cats are sort of confined to one room and you can just hear them singing like throughout the film and at one point they're talking about how there's no there's not enough uh, food to go around and I think um it's babe who says oh if only there weren't so many cats (laughs) it's just what it's just there's so many kind of strange like one-liners bits of just absolute surrealism that I really really enjoy and I think that kids movies should strive to be as kind of strange and weird as this i don't think we're getting the kind of the um babes and the you know the the whole um don bluth kind Mm. of genre of children's movies where there is a low-key element of terror but there is obviously a lot of kind of thought and love that's gone into the kind of production too and i don't think anyone could accuse george miller of like not putting his whole chest into this film it's definitely like got his kind of you know his stamp on it which again like I I just really appreciate that this is a filmmaker who's you know responsible for one of the kind of biggest um action sci-fi franchises of all time but also just 
brought us babe and happy feet at the same time it's just n- nobody is is doing it like uh, george miller yeah and it's, it's always good with film club when we look back at these films to remember that the past is definitely a different country um the 90s did have this period where these maverick filmmakers like a Terry Gilliam or a Tim Burton would be given the reins of quite mainstream, big budgeted pictures. This was $90 million, I think, for George Miller. And yeah, whether it has aged badly, as you say, Layla, or whether some elements are quite macabre now to watch, um, you 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 will never be mistaken you know, that there's a director behind the camera, whereas with some new films now for... Um, for kids or for families it can be anonymously directed or they find their personality in a sort of um timing of dialogue or sense of humor so it, the fact that he is visually throwing his camera around and creating studio bound kind of magic uh, of the old style is really something but also so weird as well that at the end of this dark twisted um pseudo fairy tale of uh, the marginalized animals all coming together and rising up you then fade to black for the credits and in comes peter gabriel singing a song written by randy newman <laughs> which is the most 90s thing way that it could wrap up <laughs> so hannah would you recommend going and watching babe as well how does this rank next to babe if you're a babe fan? Yeah, it can't compare to Babe because Babe is just like, you know, it is an absolute Stone Cold classic and still kind of Farmer Hoggett singing to Babe uh, with him like wrapped in the blanket when he's got the, when he's not very well and they think he's going to die. It's just one of the the sweetest things I have ever seen. And I I do kind of tear up a bit whenever I hear uh, If I Had Words, which is the little song that they sing throughout Babe, Babe, Pig and the Sea. But I definitely, yeah, I would recommend people watch Babe Pig in the City if if purely because it is just a fascinating relic to a completely different time in Hollywood and it's good seeing a, an ambitious filmmaker torpedoing their career universally reviled on release <laughs> I think only Gene Siskel is the only person that liked it at the time but it's got a bit... taste right there got <laughs> a bit more love now Layla will you be showing this one to your kids uh, I tried to show this one to my kids. They were had zero interest in it at all. It, like it, I might as well have had static on for all that they were kind of looking at the screen. Um, yeah, I'd just say watch Babe twice. <laughs> well, listeners, that's Babe, Pig and the City wrapping up this week's episode. So let us know what you think of that film, if you've watched it or any of the other films we've talked about this week at the usual channels at LWLIs on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email. Um, before we wrap up, Layla, I believe that there's another film out this week, After Love, that you're a fan of. Do you want to give a oh, quick yeah, plug to that one? Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Yes, no, please go and see that. Alim Khan, it's his first feature. Um, it's a wonderful story about um, a woman called Mary whose husband dies. And then after his death, she kind of uncovers some secrets about him. And she kind of goes off on a quest to you know, find out the truth about the man that she spent her life with. It's really wonderful. It's got beautiful performances. Um, and yeah, I think it would be gorgeous on a big screen. Mm. So there's a bonus recommendation there for After Love in cinemas uh, this weekend as well. Next week, we're talking about the Oscar-winning film The Father, Shiver Baby, and in Film Club, it's 25th anniversary of the Coen Brothers film Fargo. 
So let us know what you make of Fargo and we can maybe read out some comments on air if you send it in at LWIs or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Hannah, Layla, thank you so much for joining me this week. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. If your podcast player of choice also lets you leave reviews, we'd love it if you leave one for us too. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.